quarantine. Welcome back to House Music with me, Steve Pretty. This is the show where we rip music apart at the seams, have a good old rummage round, and then stitch it back together using stuff from your lockdown kitchen. Thanks for all the great feedback about last week's little bonus episode where I put together a bit of an ambient jam improvising with a planetary system 600 light years away. And, of course, the week before that, we built a drum kit out of balloons. It's just that kind of show. We live in unpredictable times, so we like to reflect that in podcast form. Speaking of which, we have tweaked things a little bit and we've moved to a new fortnightly format, which means that we have the space to have a guest with us. And if you'll excuse the pun, this week's guest is particularly spacey. Chris Lintot is with us and he is a professor of astronomy at Oxford, creator of the incredible Zooniverse project, which he'll be telling you more about later, and presenter of one of the longest running TV shows in the world, BBC Sky at Night. Now, he and I do a live show together, and um, he and I also share a love of New Orleans music, a love of uh, musing on the nature of existence, and a love of, well, a love of booze. Hey, Steve. Hello, mate. How are you doing? How are you? I'm afraid I've resorted to gin and tonic at this time of the evening. (laughs) That's all right. It's coming up for seven o'clock. I think the sun's definitely over the yard on. It is. I can confirm that. As an astronomer, I've checked. (laughs) That's true. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. In fact, I'm going to open... I actually have um, a leftover corona from a rider. I know it's been massively (laughs) overdone on uh, the internet endlessly, but I genuinely just had it. That's one of my few remaining lockdown beers. You know the corona in coronavirus is astronomical. Tell me why. So the outside of the sun's atmosphere that you see during a total solar eclipse, so the, this beautiful outer atmosphere is called, called the, the corona. corona. Yeah. And the coronavirus has all these outside spikes. Oh, on it, is so. that why? Okay, I yeah. had yeah, of course, because I know about the sun's corona, and that makes sense because it's got yeah. the, this sort of spiky. Yeah. So I thought we we should have a chat because you are professor. Chris Lintot, no less. Yeah, I'm I'm an astronomer. I usually tell people I'm a distracted astronomer. Um, One of the things that I do is I get the help of tens of thousands of people around the world to help look for planets. So we have a website called Planet Hunters that shares data from a, a little orbiting space telescope that NASA produced called TESS. And we have people look through that data and, and try and spot the signs that there might be new planetary systems. The upshot of that effort and lots of work by other colleagues is that if you go outside or look out the window tonight and look up, we now know that almost every star you can see has planets. So I'm just going to put Chris on pause here because what he doesn't mention is that this fact, this fact that most stars also have planets, is actually very new information. Now he's not really one for blowing his own trumpet. Uh, It's my instrument, that is literally my job, so I'm going to do that for him. Until this recent research, astronomers thought that planets were actually quite rare, that our own star, the Sun, was pretty unusual in that it had all these planets like us going around it. But this idea that that actually most stars have planets is really huge. It means that when you look out in the night sky and you see all those stars, they've almost certainly all got planets going around them. It's a much more exciting and dynamic universe. And so it makes it even more remarkable that amateur astronomers have discovered some of these new planetary systems. And there's one system in particular that is even more amazing. It started 
with a planetary system that some volunteers had discovered on our site. So yep. um, I'm afraid it doesn't have a very good name. Astronomers are terrible at naming things. So this is a, a, a star called K2138. When we found it, we realized it had five planets around it, and they're called B, C, D, E, and F. And unlike the musical scale, we put those in order. So <laughs> B is closest to the sun or to its star. And the really exciting thing about this system is that there's a pattern to their orbits. And the pattern is this. For every three orbits B complete, so if it goes around its star three times, C, the next one out, goes around precisely twice. And for every three times C goes round, D goes round twice. For every three times D goes round, E goes round twice. For every three times E goes round, F goes round twice. So there's there's a regular pattern. We call it a, a harmonic series, mm-hmm. and and immediately people start talking in musical terms about this. And as somebody who loves music and doesn't understand it, we started talking, Steve, about like what this means for that to be a harmonic sequence. I think that, that that's the key. Right, let me cut in again, because this is where things get really crazy. Now, Chris's colleagues in the astronomical community noticed that the pattern of orbits in this new planetary system could be translated into musical notes, into what we call a harmonic series. Now, that sounds a little bit technical. So what is a harmonic series? Well, here's a tuning fork. Now, that is creating sound waves that hit your ears about 261 times a second. And here is another tuning fork. This one is creating sound waves that hit your ears about 522 times a second. In other words, exactly double that first one. Now this is what we call in music an octave. It's simply a doubling of the frequency of the sound waves. And we as humans hear this somehow as the same note, or at least very definitely in the same family. Now these particular frequencies we happen to label as a C in music, but it's important to understand that C isn't really a fixed thing. What we think of as a C has in fact changed over time. In a Baroque period, hundreds of years ago, what they called Cs were much lower than what we call C today. So their C might have been 250 cycles a second, rather than this 261 that we have now. And weirder still, different parts of Europe had different seas from one another. Northern Germany had a sea much higher than that of southern Germany. And in France, different pitched seas were even used in different types of music. None of this matters too much except to say that everything in music is relative. And we're going to keep coming back to that point with this show because so often you hear people talking about music as if it's a definite, fixed, definitive thing. And it's really not. But what is fixed is that this, whatever we call it, this is a mathematical double of this. So as we adjust this one, the double is this. That doubling, which we musicians call an octave, that's fundamental to how we as humans hear music. And what it shows is that underlying our perception of musical notes is just maths. Your parents probably told you that music and maths are kind of the same thing when you were a kid, and they probably didn't understand quite why. They were just trying to find ways of justifying music as being a real subject. But there are actually mathematical relationships behind pretty much all of music. And to come back to what Chris was talking about with his planetary system and the orbits being like notes in a harmonic series... Well, the harmonic series is basically just an extension of this 
pure mathematical relationship. The numbers are slightly different, but the principle is the same. For every three times D goes round, E goes round twice. For every three times E goes round, F goes round twice. So once astronomers had thought of the planetary orbits as musical notes, someone had to play them. And that person was a guy called Matt Russo. Who likes to take these systems of planets that we're discovering and turns them into sound. So the rule is that the shorter the orbit, the higher the pitch. So every time the planet completes the harp sound. So just like the octave we heard earlier, these notes all sound good together because of that same maths, because they're all in proportion with one another, they're all kind of in the same family. That's all that you need to know about the harmonic series, that notes sound good together or the planets orbit in this harmonic way because, because of maths. And, and we as humans hear these notes as sounding harmonious, as kind of belonging to this same family because our brains are wired in this innately musical, mathematical way. But of course, that immediately begs the question, what if we play sounds where the maths is all a bit off? So I'm going to illustrate this with one of the toys that I used to jam with uh, these planets on last week's bonus episode. This is my lovely Fender Rhodes electric piano. So here's a note. And here is the delightful, mathematically pure octave. And here are some other lovely, harmonic, mathematically pure notes. They all fit together nicely, right? They, they kind of somehow belong, they're in the same family. But what if I try this? Or this? Or this one? These sound pretty different. You can actually hear the sound waves interfering with one another. You can, you can kind of hear them rubbing up against one another. So you get this sort of pulsing effect. Even though these notes are actually next to one another on the keyboard, their pitches are really close. They're not part of the same family. They kind of rub up against each other the wrong way because these waveforms that are hitting your ears are kind of overlapping with one another and not lining up in a nice even stack. Now it might sound like I've put some sort of fancy effect on these two notes if I play them at the same time, but I haven't. Here's this note by itself. And here's this one. And here are the two together. And that's the reason that all this harmonic series mathsy stuff is important for where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Because without our innately musical brains that perceive this difference, this harmoniousness versus this kind of crunchiness, this dissonance, we, we can't have melody, we can't have tunes, and for better or worse, we can't have dubstep. which is kind of the natural end point of this crunchiness. But that's enough of that. So every time the planet completes the harp sound, you know, there's sort of Kepler and, and 16th century astronomers wrote about the harmony of the spheres. So this is the modern equivalent. Now, this is a super interesting idea. It was the ancient Greek mathematician and philosopher Pythagoras who originally came up with the theory of the so-called harmony of the spheres. 
The idea that the orbits of the planets in our solar system generate musical notes, which we can't hear, but which create a kind of celestial music. And this idea remained popular right up to the Renaissance. Kepler wrote lots of books about it. But frankly, there really hasn't been a lot of scientific evidence to back up these links. But this concept has inspired a lot of really incredible music and also Coldplay's forthcoming album. But it does seem like the planets in this new system we've been looking at today do have orbits which can be described as being in harmony with one another. So if you've not heard it, do go back and check out my musical interpretation of this new planetary system from last week's show or the somewhat trippy video that's just gone up on my YouTube channel. Right, so we've heard of the music of the spheres. We are now going to explore the music of the beers. See what I did there? Lockdown week four, taking its toll. Uh, so we've got our beers here. I should say, I think we must be the only podcast in existence who... These are Beer 52 beers, but we're not sponsored by Beer 52. <laughs> the, reason we are, the reason we've got these, Beer 52 beers, we're going to keep saying Beer 52 beers, which I'm sure will be excellent, Beer 52 if you're listening, is that uh, I listened to another podcast and signed up for that, so they're getting our money. So we're sort of double losing. But anyway, I'm sure they're delicious. Uh, these are Virginia beers of some sort, apparently. This, they're it, both very strong. And this one's just a cool 6.3%. And this is 7.2. It is Saturday night. It is Saturday night. Cheers. Now, um, we're just going to try and find some tones that sound nice together by blowing over the beer bottles. It's not great. How low does it need to be? So the way to do it is to try and you have to kind of blow down into it so that it can bounce out. So you don't put your mouth over it. You're sort of blowing across it. Is this basically what um, flautists do? Yeah. Right. It's exactly that. <laughs> I feel like what is the animal like a kind of dugong or something? No, but there's some animal elephantine creature with a very prehensile lip. <laughs> Oh, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I almost had it. So actually, just a little sip makes quite a a Mm, big difference. Yeah, it went really deep, though. So that's quite nice and harmonious. I'm I'm getting pan pipes Mm, vibes. It is definitely pan (laughs) pipes. It's tiny pan pipes. Slightly lightheaded. Yeah, yeah. That'll happen. That's part of it. Both the beer and the sort of shallow, repetitive breathing. But why is this? Why does the tone change? Tone changes because you're changing the size of the like resonating chamber. So I just drank more of this one, mm-hmm. and so it goes deeper because it's basically like a bigger instrument. Right. So because you're you're like working with the kind of harmonic resonance, as it's called, the air is going in and vibrating mm-hmm. around and then kind of coming out. The more you drink, the deeper it gets. So if I try with this so wine like bottle, that I coach, tuba as opposed to a trumpet. yeah, exactly. Lovely stuff. Oh, that's good because that's that's really close. Then you can hear it pulsing. Weird. Really weird. How come? It's because the 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 um, waves are basically overlapping in a really uh-huh. weird way. So when when they're harmonious like those two, mm-hmm. they're kind of stacked on top of one another. There's a kind of nice mathematical ratio between those two, whereas there's not a nice mathematical right. ratio at all mm-hmm. here. They're close, but you know you're one slightly higher, and so therefore 
they kind of hitting your ears and kind of crossing over as they get there. So it's sort Weird. of, yeah, they're kind of cancelling each other out. And... Actually, we have got quite a lot of booze, but we've got cans, we've got a keg. You could. You'd have to have some pretty big lungs to do with a keg. So thank you to my lockdown partner and indeed my life partner, Joe, for helping me out with that little musical experiment. Now, we are a few weeks into this lockdown situation at the time of recording and you might well be looking for stuff to do to keep your mind occupied or entertain the kids. So after you've found all this beautiful harmony from the bottles of beer or soft drink that you have building up in your recycling, why not help Chris to find planets hundreds of light years away? Or help conservationists by counting penguins? Because Chris has built a site where you can do just that. So it started off with trying to get people to do my work for me, which was was sorting out <laughs> galaxies by shape. We've got people looking for asteroids um, and then loads of non-astronomical things. So Penguin Watch is a project that counts penguins in <laughs> images from time-lapse cameras in Antarctica. We've got people look at cell biology, um, old manuscripts, Civil War history, all sorts of American Civil War so it's history. Not, so not just science, it's... No, 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 we do the humanities as well. We don't have any music projects right now, for which I'm sorry. But yeah, they're all projects where people with a little bit of spare time can contribute to some sort of greater good and just had the busiest two weeks we've ever had in more than 10 years of doing this uh, five million separate contributions last week and i think it's just that we're all stuck at home for people lucky enough to have spare brain cycles i think there's a desire to do something other than just sit in front of the tv so chris just give us the address for your project that people can participate in again so it's zooniverse.org or just google uh, citizen science and you'll find us So thanks so much to my guest, Professor Chris Lintott. Um, Do check out his Twitter feed. It's a mine of astronomical uh, information, very interesting stuff. And also, of course, the sky at night, which he's currently partly filming in his back garden because he can't leave home like the rest of us. Um, And massive thanks as well to Matt Russo at the University of Toronto for his work in turning that planetary system 600 light years away into that beautiful heart music, which has been the basis of some of this episode and the last one. Thanks as well to Alexandra Quinn, who's come on board to help with some of the editing and production of this show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do hit subscribe and please do tell your friends. That's really, really valuable uh, for us. And we're going to be back in two weeks' time when we're going to be looking at melodies and tunes. So get practising with those beer bottles and we will see you then. From me and my producer, Miranda, stay safe and have fun. <laughs>